It's good, it's good to be with you. I, I, I don't get out very often. <laughs> so I'm really chuffed <laughs> to be here and um, just really grateful to God for this opportunity to, to kind of share some of the things really that I've learned over the years I've walked with Jesus. I've been a Christian 27 years and I still haven't got it right. Anybody else with me on that? You know, when you get to my age, it has to be at a certain distance to be able to read anything. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. If you have a Bible with you, will you turn to the book of Luke for me, please? Luke chapter 9. We'll be reading in a minute. I'm promising myself these days that whenever I talk, I'll actually use the Word of God. Because I get so caught up with the things I'm saying, sometimes I forget the very scripture I'm speaking from. So forgive me if it's a, if it's a new kind of way of doing things for you, because I know Pastor Adrian's a really good Bible teacher. So you've got to, you know, share the love and let me in and all that malarkey, haven't you? Just before we read this together, just a little bit of an introduction, really. Um, I don't know if you, you have noticed this, but I certainly have. The world that we're living in is awash with various sounds, various voices all the time. And um, I, I feel that one of the things the church really has to be quite careful about is that we're not caught up, if you like, in secular humanism and um, cultural kind of ethoses or philosophies. It's very important that we, we don't try and change who we are um, in desire to reach those who are not like us. And um, I really think that one of my favorite kind of statements at the moment that God has given me is the irrelevance of relevance. I don't think the church is meant to be like the world. I think you need to understand you're called to be a peculiar people. Some of you have a head start, and so we're playing catch up. <laughs> But, but that, that is what it's meant to look like. We're meant to be different. We're meant to have a different kind of ethos of living, a different sense of purpose. And, um, and in a world where, you know, vastly the church is, is being squeezed, if you like, marginalized in society, it's really important that we don't lose who we are. And more importantly than that, we don't lose our centrality around Jesus Christ because he is the person who created all of this anyway. Um, if you're struggling with that thought, let, let me just remind you of Noah. Now, Noah was an odd character by anybody's standards because he started building an ark in a place where it never rained, really. And um, you can imagine, can't you, all the dialogue of the neighbors and his family and his friends about that particular process. And as he went out diligently every day, banging away at the purposes of God, which is not unlike us, we bang away at the purposes of God as best we can, people would have criticized him. They would have called him a lunatic, really. And um, it must have been quite hard for Noah to hold on to what God had told him to do, and at the same time try and honor the people around him, to contextualize his faith, if you like. You can imagine the conversations over dinner, couldn't you, with the missus. You can... Think through the implications of what his children must have thought about their dad. And uh, everybody would have thought he was crazy. And what he was doing was completely irrelevant until the first patter of rain. 
And then it became apparent as that increased that Noah had his eye on something that was supernaturally given to him by God as a provision for the world. Now, if Noah had sought to be relevant, he'd have put down his hammer. Would have given up his dream. He would have not done what God had asked him to do. And uh, I really believe the church is so, so kind of caught up with trying to be relevant. We've become irrelevant. And I actually think that relevance is irrelevant anyway. Relevance means to be like everything else. I don't want to be like everyone else. I've spent too long trying to be who I am in Christ Jesus to fit into some kind of mold or shape that the world tells me I have to be. And you know, every day on the telly we're told we could be taller, thinner, sharper, faster, blonder, more suntanned, perfect teeth. The whole world is bombarding us with pieces of information, voices if you like, that are trying to mold and shape who we are. I mean, you can go out into the, the, the clubs at night and see everybody's wearing the same type of thing. And, um, you know, we call that fashion. Some people call it folly. I can't understand. You know, I remember the days whenever I could go out with hardly anything on and not be cold. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. I look at some people and think, gosh, you must be dying there. You know, and that lovely blue tinge that your skin is looking <laughs> works fabulous with pink. Um, But I, I want to suggest to you that we need to get over this notion that we have to be relevant. And we need to start celebrating, if you like, the uniqueness of the church. We need to come to terms with the fact that we are a peculiar people and that God's happy with that. In fact, that's how he wanted it to be. And a peculiar people, basically put, is a prophetic people. See, I love prophecy. One of my favorite things that God has given me in my life is some kind of revelation when I talk to people in counseling, I hear God speak to me about them. And sometimes when I'm speaking in a meeting, I hear God tell me things about people. And I have always valued that gift. But I think prophecy must be more than thus saith the Lord, I think you're lovely and you need to sort your life out. I think the church collectively should be prophetic to the world. Like Noah, we should be building an ark before anyone realizes it's going to rain. And I think if we had been listening we could have had amazing opportunities when the credit crunch came. If we'd have been listening. If we'd been not so caught up with trying to be like them and actually started to celebrate who we are in Christ and acclimbed our ear to the voice of God. I think we could have had lots of answers for lots of people inside and outside the church. So the world is awash with all kinds of opinion and voices. And it's really important, I think. Am, am I, com- I can't really hear myself very well. Am I all right Yeah. Um, it's really important that we listen to the right voice and that we're not kind of persuaded or cajoled into living differently because of the majority opinion on certain things. There's a bill being passed in Parliament presently, in fact, I don't know if you've received information about it, that that indicates that um, the whole concept of marriage as we understand it is about to change. And uh, I remember 10, 15 years ago when this conversation first started that the church really was the church had two responses to that whole process and we now have civil partnerships as you know but the church's response was to go outside the doors of parliament with placards and complain and you know to be really blooming honest with you I think people are sick of listening to us complain and the thing we perhaps should have done was pray which we didn't do particularly well we just complained and um, did little kind of you know um, 
what do they call those things? Petitions. And sent them all off to someone who ripped them up and didn't get <laughs> and, and we don't use what we have effectively. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal for the tearing down of strongholds. But spiritual. And we should have gathered the church to pray. And speak into that prophetically. And offer the world an explanation that was more than stop it and don't. And we got caught up in it all. We thought we were involved, but actually we're marginalized. And here we are, and it's about to change again. And the whole concept of marriage be completely different. And the church is so, I think, disappointed, if you like, with how the government leads the country, that we don't do what is right, and that is to pray for our government and to offer them our support. You know, they're, they're trying to do the best they can, and I feel God's challenging me all the time on that. Um, it's easy to be critical of people. Have you noticed how quickly our prime minister's age it's easy to be critical of people and when we're not walking in their shoes trying to navigate all of the the kind of differences that in our nation we have embraced so the world is awash with voices and some of those voices are full of deception in fact it's not that long ago that we were listening to voices that were telling us things like this live for today for tomorrow doesn't matter and then in 2008, tomorrow really did come upon us. And those voices that we thought were telling us the truth of how to live our lives and to spend our money and to orchestrate our finances actually led us almost over the cliff to the point where we're still picking up the pieces of the implications of listening to those voices that come out of culture and out of popular humanism. And um, I just want to say to you, I, just, I look back at that and I think I was guilty of listening to those voices. And here I am, and I'm picking up the pieces of that in my own life. I'm sure many of us are, and we're still working through that. So how do we navigate our way in a world so full of confusion? Well, I think there are two main sat navigation systems, if you like, that will help us do that. The first one, and if you want to write notes, this might be a good point to start, is the character and the nature of Christ as he is revealed to us in Scripture. Not just the Word of God, i.e. the rules and so on, but the character and the nature of Christ. So when I hear something said from either inside the church or outside the church, my first filter to understand whether this is something of value to me or not is, can I see the character and the nature of Christ as revealed through Scripture in this particular conversation, in this voice? Is there some essence of the character and the nature of God? So that's one sat-nav system that needs to be identified. The other one is the Holy Spirit. And uh, what we need to do with the Holy Spirit is say, you know, Holy Spirit, is this the truth? Because the Bible says about the Holy Spirit that he is a gift from God to lead us, that's the church, into all truth. So he helps us discern right from wrong and truth from lies. And he is the one who counsels us through our decision-making process to making the right choices about our lives. And so it would be really silly of us to not use the sat navigation system of the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit tell us what's right? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin of righteousness and judgment. And so when we are filtering these voices that are coming at our lives in culture and various other things, we need to say, does this fit with the truth 
of the character and the nature and the word of God? And is it bearing witness to me in my spirit that this is something that the Holy Spirit would put his name to? And, and they're very important sat navigation systems. Now, in case you're thinking, you know, um, and have the luxurious thought that you are beyond deception <laughs> and therefore never led astray. Um, in the book of Revelation, it says... In the end times, okay, and I don't think they're that far away to be fair, even the elect, and it's talking about the church there, people who have walked with God for many years, even the elect shall be deceived. Now deception is something I think that's really, really quite seriously prominent in the church today. Um, Let let me give you an example of this. There's a, a book that recently came out by a very, very charismatic popular Christian author and speaker. In fact, he's probably one of the greatest communicators I've ever, ever heard in my life. And uh, you may have even read his books. I'm not going to give you his name. But in this recent book, he, he propagates this, this perspective, if you like, on eternity. And his perspective on eternity is that there is no such place as hell. And his uh, presupposition for that is that God is so full of grace and so full of mercy and so full of kindness that he wouldn't let anyone you know, end up in a place like that. And this is a a hugely popular speaker, a major conference speaker, goes all over the world, and we have bought into his charismatic gift and his incredible talent. And sometimes, particularly our younger generation in the church, they have not discerned whether that is true or that isn't true. They don't know their Bibles well enough, I'm sorry, to be able to determine whether they can recognize the truth of God's Word in that And perhaps they're not as led by the Spirit as we would hope for to be able to discern whether that is a witness to them or not. Now, let me just talk into that for a minute. That is probably one of the major Christian speakers in the world. And I would say a good 40% of the church have bought his book and have it on their shelf. And they've not taken the time to discern whether this is the voice of God or it's not the voice of God. And my only problem with that is if there is no such place as hell, then what the heck was Jesus doing dying on a cross to save people from sins? Fundamentally, you have a bit of an issue around that one. And, um, you know, was God just having a bad day and wanted to take it out on his kid? Unlike us, God isn't like that. Okay? Fundamentally, I believe that Jesus came to rescue us from eternal separation from God. And uh, I don't know what your theology is, but that's where mine is clearly, clearly defined. And yet, the church has bought into that. You know, there are songs that we're singing by um, great artists, Christian artists, and the theology is incorrect, and we sing them week after week. Actually, it's, it's been noted that most of our theology is taken from our worship songs. And some of our worship songs have really crap theology. Because they're not meant to be theological in their emphasis. They're meant to be worshipful. And so they give us a concept of God. And uh, and that's why a lot of older folks say, I prefer the hymns. There was some depth and some stature to them. And, you know, in some senses, that's just romanticism about those. Because a lot of those were musical songs at one point. And we've, you know, we've made them so sacred now. Um, But I just want to say we need to sharpen our understanding of what truth is. Because it's so, so easy for us to become deceived. And just in case you think that this is, you know, some pastor in a bad mood. I'm not in a bad mood. I've got a blind and edict. But I'm not in a bad mood. I, I, I so believe that this is important. 
that, and I'm not a theologian, so you, you've probably figured that out already, that I have just taken our church through the Apostles' Creed. Week after week, it's taken us three months to work through the Apostles' Creed. Because I recognize that there is, in many ways, a deficit in the church as far as good doctrine and theology is concerned. And uh, if you think that it doesn't matter what you believe, then you really are deceived, because it really does matter what you believe. Because what you believe about God is the most important thing in your life. It is the most important thing in your life. In fact, it sets the scene for everything that uh, Jesus wants to show us. What we believe about God is so fundamental, it directs our path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's talking about when you believe in me, this is the way you will live and this is the life you will get. Everything comes out of our knowledge of God. It comes out of our understanding of who God is. And so if we've got kinks in our understanding of who God is, let's not be surprised that we're double-minded and unaffectual in the world in which we're placed. We really need to, you know, there's a song I kept singing over the church. It wasn't very kind of Christian. It was from the 1981 Eurovision Song Contest. And uh, the, the great writers of that song and fabulous entertainers that sang it were a group of people called Bucks Fizz. And the song title was Making Your Mind Up. And I really believe it's time in the church to make our mind up about God and not allow all of this popular secular humanism and the charismatic ability of certain people and the personality and gifting of certain individuals to actually determine what we believe or don't believe, to actually take ownership, if you like, of, the, of our own relationship with God and say, God, I believe this, but I'm not sure about this. Could you help me with this? And I'll find out about that. And, and stop being spectators carried along by every wind of doctrine that happens to embrace us at a particular time. And actually become people who are responsible before God about what we believe is true or isn't true. You see, because all of us have inherited a package called church. Now, I, I'm in a bit of a luxurious kind of position because, you know, I was probably, well, compared to some of you, well, not all of you, but some of you, the most filthy, dirty, rotten sinner in the world, really. And um, if I hadn't done the act, I thought about it. And, and I didn't have any framework of reference. I didn't go to church. I went to mass as a kid. You know, see these earlobes, they dragged me down the front of the altar every Sunday. My mother, God bless her, she's dead now. But uh, I didn't have a frame of reference of God. I didn't have an understanding of what it looked like to have a relationship with Jesus. And uh, when I got saved, I got gloriously saved. I mean, really gloriously saved. I'm surprised I'm saved. My family is still surprised I'm saved. You're probably, by the end of this, going to be really surprised that I'm saved. You might, you might have some questions about it as well. But the, the reality is, I once was blind, but now I see. And there was a defining moment in my life where God turned up in, in, in a big way and completely and utterly changed the way I live my life. I am persuaded by every ounce in my body that God is in me and that God is with me. And, God is, and I am absolutely, forgive me if this sounds arrogant, confident, I mean really confident to the point of bordering on arrogance, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am convinced I'm going to be in heaven. I know God. Not as well as perhaps some of you, and maybe better than some others of you. 
But I know God. I'm on this incredible adventure with God where I'm discovering His love, His grace, and His mercy on a daily basis. I don't doubt that I'm saved. But for those of us who've been brought up in church, who were like eased into the whole decision-making process, who've been acclimatized to the environment, we may be here and not truly be infected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may have bought, we may even like church better than we love Jesus. And those people become easy prey whenever they don't have those defining moments as to what they believe or they don't believe. And if, you, if you're older than 60 here, you'll have been around church a while and you'll know that fads come and fads go. And, you know, the latest thing is this and the next thing is this. And we're all changing everything to accommodate this. And before you know where you are, you've got a catalog of experiences. And I think we really need the wisdom of the older generation to keep us in the right place because they have walked with God for a long time. They've seen all the fly-by-nights come and go. Now, church, I'm trying to explain to you that the season we're living in is awash with voices. And you and I have the most incredible responsibility before God to tune out all the negative ones and to crank up the volume on the real one, which is the still small voice of Almighty God. Now, in this scripture, Luke 9, verse 18... Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks a question. And I think it's a very powerful question for us today. In the midst of all of the voices that we're hearing, he said to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Great question, Jesus. And the disciples quickly come back and they have some suggestions, you know, and uh, A variety of them put their hand up and say, me, 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 I'll answer this. And uh, one says, you're Elijah, which is not really helpful because Elijah was dead. And uh, another one said, John the Baptist. And you think they'd have got that he wasn't John the Baptist because John the Baptist had been beheaded about three months before this. And to generalize the people's perception of who Jesus was, they said, well, you're just some, some prophet or some teacher. And so here we are, we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking around Nazareth, healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God being at hand, reaching out to the leper and transforming their lives, lifting up the prostitute from the dirt she finds herself in into a whole new life, gathering all these wonderful people around him for the purposes of God. And all the people who followed and all the people who listened and all of the 5,000 on the mountain and the three you know, thousand somewhere else, are all confused about who Jesus is. And you think you can't be deceived. You think you can't get it wrong. And now Jesus takes a step back from that conversation. You think maybe there's a better question than who do people say I am. He says, what about you? You've walked with me for three years. You've watched how I've operated. You've seen the things I've said. You've watched the miracles and the signs and the wonders. What about you guys? What, what, what do you say? Who do you think I am? And then right out of the blue, the one with the biggest mouth and the biggest feet to put in it, Peter, who hardly gets anything right, to be fair, actually puts his hand up and all the disciples look at one another and they think, oh, this will be good. Let's wait for it. And Peter says, doesn't he, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now you can imagine the hush coming across that gathering. And everyone's thinking, where the heck did he get that from? You know, this is a rough fisherman. He didn't have a spiritual education, perhaps, to give him some nice, fancy words to say. And uh, 
they're all taken aback. And Jesus is slightly taken aback. And he says to Peter, no man has revealed this to you, Peter. But my father in heaven, the voice, has told you. Now, I want to say to you that we can come to church every week. We can read all of the Christian books we like. We can sing all of the good theology songs and then maybe dysfunctional theology songs. We can be caught up in all of the paraphernalia and not know for ourselves who he really is. We can let Pastor Adrian tell us who God is. You can invite speakers like me who tell you who God is and what God looks like. But who do you say he is? Who is he to you? What part of his nature, what part of his character do you carry in your life? What perspective on God do you have? And you may not think that's important because you know, well, these are the experts. They've been off to Bible college and all that kind of stuff. Trust me, get over that. That's nonsense. God wants you to know who he is. Because if you don't know who he is, you will never truly get the benefit of knowing what he does. Who do you say I am? I feel this is a question to this church. And let me tell you why I'm asking it today of this church. Because some of you have different opinions. And that has become problematic. Some of us here this morning think, well, he's the father. He's the father. He's the father. And you know, you can always tell people who have a revelation of God as a father. Because everything's about Papa God and Daddy and Abba. And their whole vocabulary is about the father. And yet they're sitting next to somebody in the same church with the same worship songs and the same leadership. And the person next to them is saying, oh, he's my savior. I once was lost and now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. See, he is the father. But really, really, you need to catch up because actually he's the savior of the world. And when that song comes on, they're on their feet because they've got revelation. They have discovered who they believe he is. And then someone over here will say, yeah, he is the Father. I get that. Theologically, I understand that. And I can see how Mrs. So-and-so gets the Savior thing because she was really bad. And she needed a Savior. But, you know, I can testify that he is the sovereign God who miraculously heals and delivers people. Let me tell you my story. I was born into sin. I had 25 demons in me. I came to church and God set me free. I have peace every night. I have I have just the most incredible sense of God's love in my heart and in my life. No, no, he's not the father. He's not just a savior. He's the deliverer. He's the sovereign God. And the difficulty we have in church, and this is where things go pear-shaped for us, is we think everybody has to have the same revelation. We have mistaken uniformity for unity. Now, the interesting thing about this conversation, as you read on in the story, is that this moment was defining for Peter. Up until this point, he was a bit of a joke. And suddenly he gets it. He hears the right voice. He tunes out all the other voices of uh, all of the people who had got this wrong. And even the disciples were shocked at how he had received such a revelation. But he tunes in, inclines his ear to the voice of heaven and He receives this incredible revelation. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And everything in that statement is blindingly wonderful about the nature of God. And then Jesus said, Peter, you did not get this from a man. In other words, this understanding of who I am has not come through preaching. 
It's not come through church. Where did it come from? It was my Father in heaven who revealed this to you. Now, here's where things go a little bit more interesting for me because the Catholic Church believe that the next sentence actually is setting up their lineage as far as the Pope is concerned um, because Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he goes on to say that not even the gates of Hades will stop it from growing and flourishing. And so the Catholic Church have a belief system that Jesus is talking about Peter. He's saying, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so we would do it like this. Jesus is pointing to Peter, one finger out, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. Well, we who are Pentecostal and Protestant feel that the church built on the cornerstone of a man is probably a very weak church. And we're not We're not kind towards that kind of theology. And what we think Jesus is saying is he may be talking to Peter, but he's pointing back at himself and he's saying to Peter, upon this rock, me, the revelation, me, I will build my church. I just want to suggest to you that neither of those is right. I would suggest to you today, and those of you theologians will probably fight with me afterwards, I think the revelation that Peter had was the rock upon which Jesus was going to build his church. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's interesting in the book of Acts chapter 2 that the manifestation of Peter's revelation happens. He's the one who stands up on the day of Pentecost and starts the church. And if you listen to his sermon on that day, it's Christ-centric. It's about christ And Christ crucified. And you did this. And he's turned somehow from the conversation where he got something from heaven. As a a whisper from God to his heart that really started a whole journey for Peter. To this man now that God is using in a phenomenal way. God is even using this man who denied him three times. To stand publicly who was a coward. Boldly before a whole bunch of people who wanted to murder the church. And... Start a love revolution in Jerusalem. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Who do you say he is? What does he look like for you? And I want to say one more thing and then we're going to have a cup of cocoa and a sponge finger and go home. It's not his responsibility to tell you who God is. And it most certainly isn't mine because I'll mess it up. And you need in all of these voices, church, to make your mind up. And it's okay for all of us to have a different understanding of an aspect of the nature and the character of God. And I want to say to you this, and this is probably the most important thing I say. You bring your revelation of Him as Father and I'll bring my revelation of him as lover. Someone else will bring their revelation as savior. Someone else will bring their revelation as healer. And as we piece these wonderful aspects of the nature of God together, we paint a picture to the world of the vastness and the greatness and the majesty and the awesomeness of our God. And it's okay for you to call him Papa. And it's okay for you to call him Savior. And it's okay for you to call him Healer. 
And it's okay for you to call him deliverer. Who you say he is, is really important to you. It sets the course for your life, but also to the body of Christ. And we need to stop fighting with one another because we see different aspects of the nature of God and have different revelations, if you like, of his character and his nature. Actually, the church works so much better when all those revelations are put together. And you know why the world doesn't come to church? Because it's really pigging boring. And many of us are only here out of duty, really. Or we haven't got a life. We don't wash our car on a Sunday. <laughs> or maybe we've maxed out the credit card and the mall is not open till 11 o'clock. I don't know. I just I like keeping things real. I just am that kind of person. The only thing that's kept me for the 27 years I've walked with God is not the church. It's who I said he is. It's who I discovered him to be. And my testimony, listen to this, is not what I used to be. That's my history. My testimony is who I see him to be presently in my life. He is my lover and my friend. He is my father and my mother. He is my brother. And I am here still on this journey because I took the time to explore for myself the question, who do you say I am, Simon? Let's pray. Peter got a new identity the minute he discovered the identity of God. God changed his name. And your destiny is wrapped up in your revelation of God. Why don't we stand to pray? Come on, you've been sitting on your blessed assurance long enough. Just throw your hands up in the air like you just don't care. Go on. Could you play something, something meaningful in the background? <laughs> I don't quite know what that means, but loosely interpreted. Something that causes heaven to come to earth. No pressure. Come on, put your hands up for me. We come to you this morning, Lord Jesus, in sweet surrender. And the truth is, God, for a long time, we haven't really understood who you are. And the bit of you we got, we thought was inferior to the other bits people got. But I want to thank you, Father, that what I've discovered about you is life. And no one can take it from me. I thank you for what you have revealed. You have taken the time to reveal to my heart and to my life about who you are. And all around this room, God, I just want to set people free from feeling that they have to fit in with one size fits everybody. We're just going to take a moment or two to say thank you, God. For none of this has come about by human effort or energy. But you, our God, has opened up our understanding. You've opened up the eyes of our heart to see you, God. And so whether you're a lover or a friend or a father or a savior or a healer or a coming king, it's all good. And upon those revelations, upon those rocks, you're going to build your church. And you start by building us. We are your church individually, God. But collectively, you're going to build a glorious church 
that will truly, truly, truly reflect the face of Jesus to the world. And I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful for that. Lord, we make a pledge to you this day that we're going to tune out the other voices and crank up the volume on the still small voice of our God so that every whisper that you want us to hear of revelation will be deposited in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for having me. God bless you. If you're interested at all in healing, I'd like you to come along tonight because I really sense in my spirit God's going to heal some people and I want to encourage you to take a risk and bring someone along who perhaps needs a touch from God in that way. In our church a couple of weeks ago, we saw a blind eye open. Um, We saw a man who had a car crash and his knee was pounded from the car crash. A young black lad of about 28 started screaming at the top of his voice as the Holy Spirit came and he couldn't even walk properly. He began running around the room. A woman with a shoulder who'd been displaced through, um, I don't know, some sport she played and she was in traction and various other things for her back too, came forward and got gloriously healed and her shoulder just clicked back into place in the meeting. It was a horrible sound. But, but you know, I just want to encourage you because my revelation is lover but also healer. And um, I'm trying to work up a catalogue of revelations.